everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Easter. You can have a seat. Now we have to do something here before we start. Can we put up that first slide? Is that up? Okay, so what happens is I'm going to say the first thing, then you guys say the second thing, okay? With like gusto, you know, because sometimes pastors are like, let's try that again. I don't want to do that, okay? We're just going to do it right the first time. So I say, He is risen. That's why we're here. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But today I want to start uh, by telling you a dad joke, and I didn't even know that it was a dad joke at the time. That's how deep I am into the dadness. So it was a couple weeks ago, we were meeting some people, some new friends over at Liberty Union, and I don't know if this happens in your family, but we were sitting outside and people are looking at the menu and they're looking at the menu, and you know, they flip through the menu, and then they go back to the beginning of the menu, and we're looking at the menu, and I'm thinking, does it really matter what we order today? Like, worst case scenario is that we order food and we eat it. You know what I mean? So I say, man, the stakes are high. The stakes are high, like stakes, like high stakes, low stakes, stakes, like the kind of steak you eat. Isn't that, I mean, I didn't even know. I had, a, I had to have another dad actually point out that I had just made a good dad joke. Uh, the stakes are high. So that's my new joke. And I, I'm, you know, registered trademark. It's mine every time now at a restaurant. The stakes are high. Uh, okay, so I say that because the stakes are really high on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning. This is the event that if you are a follower of Jesus, it's the foundation. If this didn't happen, well, let me just read to you the words of Paul. He says this to early Christians in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ Jesus has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost and if our hope is in Christ is only for this life we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. The stakes are this high. It's why we come to church on Sundays, because Jesus was Jewish and he went to synagogue on Saturdays, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection on Sunday, like that's why we gather. The stakes are so incredibly high. And if you got a check, or not a, if you got a check in the mail, a letter with uh, the, uh, the letterhead from a law firm saying, you've just inherited all this money from this relative that you barely knew, but, you know, Aunt Jeannie really liked you and has been following you on Facebook for the last 20 years. Like, 
if there is a million dollar check in the mail, you might be a little skeptical, but you can bet that you would look up that law firm, see if they had a physical address and make a phone call to see if that cat, that check was worth cashing or if whether or not it was a scam. So if you find yourself skeptical, I'm not, I'm not going to lay out a bunch of like rational proofs. And I think there's certainly room for doubt in believing the resurrection of Jesus because you would be in good company. You would be in the company of people who witnessed the event. Like, what is going on? Did this really happen? Can I really believe something so incredible? Like, this doesn't have precedent. I've never seen anything quite like this before. It's worth looking into. And there are some authors out there like N.T. Wright, like Tim Keller, who do a really good job of laying out the reasons why you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus and still be like a, a strong thinker. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to first read the story and then look backward and forward about how this story comes to us, the story of Jesus' resurrection. So Matthew chapter 28 is the story of Jesus' resurrection. Listen with open minds, and if you are a follower of Jesus, with a believing heart. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, this has been actually a really hard year for a lot of people. I was talking to someone just this morning, sharing the, and he was sharing with me the journey that he has been on. Largely, I'm at home alone, maybe with my kid, and I've been having to wrestle with my identity. Like, who am I apart from my work? Because my work looks so different than it ever has. I know many people have lost desires to do things that you love. You have had like foundational beliefs, foundational habits, foundational activities, like just shaken, like the ground beneath your feet, things that seem sure and steady you're not so sure about anymore. 
And I want you to know that this experience is not a unique experience in human history. In fact, historians say that at least up until about the Industrial Revolution and even into the 1850s, every generation has experienced a plague, either spread by rats or mosquitoes or something gets in the water. And if you haven't experienced a plague that affects every aspect of your daily life, there's a good chance that you had a war in your hometown or a famine. And so the idea of being totally shaken has been a normal thing for humans, but it is actually the message of the church that has shown stronger during times of suffering and trial. There's something about suffering and trial that actually brings out the goodness of like the person and work and heart of Jesus. And I think one of the reasons that the message of the church like makes so much sense in times of suffering and trial and pain is because it is a story that is birthed out of suffering and pain and struggle. And like some of the like harshest human experiences that any person could ever have. It is a story that centers on the person of Jesus, but is witnessed and the message is carried by a few of his closest friends and disciples. And this is a story that if you only look at it through the lens of, you know, Jesus always wins, everything's always happy, you've actually missed a huge part of what's going on in the story. And so let me, let me just back up a few days from that resurrection morning, and I'll open up to Luke 24. The same story essentially gets told in each of the Gospels. But on the, like the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he first brings together his closest friends for a dinner party. It's actually a religious ceremony called Passover. But it's like it's an intimate gathering. But by the end of the next day, he will have his friends fall asleep on him. One of them will betray him. One of them will deny him. And the rest will abandon him. And so we see as we walk through this day, the like incredible hardship and pain that Jesus is experiencing. And so first, after the party, he goes to the... Uh, Luke 24 is not what I wanted, sorry. What's the next passage up? Matthew 28, probably actually Matthew 27. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. His friends who he brought with him have fallen asleep, and it says these words. Jesus says these words. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Judas, or rather Peter, who betrays or who, who denies Jesus, when he realizes what he has done, he goes away weeping bitterly. Judas, who betrayed him and Matthew 27, verse 3, realizing what Jesus had, that Jesus had been condemned to die was filled with remorse. And then he goes and throws the silver coins that the Jewish leaders had given him, presumably like in anger and frustration, right, into the face of those Jewish leaders, and he goes and hangs himself. The experiences that these disciples are having are as 
deeply painful and scary as you can imagine. Jesus, after being abandoned by his friends, is now on the cross suffering the kind of pain that you and I can only imagine. He has suffered pain and shame and ridicule. He's been mocked. He's had a crown of thorns put on his head. They are calling him king of the Jews, which is meant to be sarcastic and a slight, even though it is actually a proclamation of who he really is. And he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he experiences this in reality, whereas a lot of times when we feel like God has abandoned us, he hasn't actually. But Jesus, who has his very life rooted in the presence of God the Father, is now experiencing the horror of what it's like to face pain and death without the presence of God. He's had it through his entire life in ways that we can only imagine, and now it is withdrawn. After the resurrection, you might think, oh, well, everything was better. It was like happy and everybody believed. But now let's jump to Luke 24. The disciples are confused. It says here we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This is after they've seen the, t- the empty tomb. They're talking to a stranger. They're, they're, they're saying we had hopes And we don't know what's going on, but it seems those hopes died with Jesus. They don't know that the stranger they think they're talking to is actually Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus. Another example is the whole group was startled and frightened because thinking they had seen a ghost. When Jesus appears, they are in such disbelief that they think it's a ghost, and so they're afraid. So out of the resurrection event comes confusion and fear. And it says, still they were there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. But after Jesus opens their minds, then they worship him. They experience joy and they worship him. And so the story of Jesus and his earliest followers has this intermingling of both joy and pain. And that's, that's, I think, what makes the person of Jesus and the message we bring so compelling because it doesn't deny suffering. But you don't suffer alone. You don't suffer without God. You don't suffer outside of a story that helps make sense and give purpose to the pain and the grief and the anger that you're feeling and have felt, regardless of the situation, but it is my hope that you would have a faith that is flexible enough to go on a journey. And we have been on a journey this past year, like my friend I was talking about before, like we have been faced with some of the harshest realities of life, not even the realities out there, but the realities like of ourselves, like what's going on in my heart? Why do I keep losing my temper? Why am I so depressed? Where is meaning in all this? Do I even have a purpose? Like these are the same questions and experiences that Jesus' disciples were having. So my hope is that you have a faith that is flexible enough to go on a journey, but strong enough 
to give you a place to stand and weather the storms of life. As you track with the early church, even after we read in Acts 2, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and, uh, and like thousands of people believe this message about Jesus. You think, oh, it's all up and to the right from here, right? As Americans, we like things to go up and to the right. It goes better and better, but it's, it's this mixing of like victory and defeat. So thousands believe and sick people are healed. But then in Acts 6, it says, like, as the believers began to multiply, what happens in the church? There are also rumblings of discontent. And Stephen, who was an earlier follower of Jesus, gets stoned, and James is killed, and Peter is imprisoned. And this is actually really a a kind of a funny story if you look at it with fresh eyes. So in Acts 12, some of you may know the story. Peter gets put in prison. And then like the earth shakes and angels open the doors and, uh, and they get out. And so they go back to the house where there's this little group of Christians praying that Peter would be released. But he knocks on the door. Uh, somebody comes, opens it because they recognize Peter's voice. The person is so excited, they slam the door in Peter's face, run back to the people who are praying, and they say, Peter's at the door. And, and what do they say to this person? They say, you're out of your mind. They're they're praying, like presumably with faith, that God would release Peter from prison. God does it. And they say to the person who tells him, you're out of your mind. And she insists. And then they're like, well, I mean, maybe it's his angel. He must have died. And like, he's appearing to us like in a spiritual sense or, or, okay, but let's go see. But it's Peter who had been released from prison. Like this mixing of like amazing victory and exaltation and joy with doubt and confusion and pain and defeat and what seems like losing. And, and so we, we have to like, pay attention to what it is that brings these people together and keeps them going so that 2,000 years ago, we're talking about billions of people showing up on a Sunday or tuning in online to hear the message that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Acts is the story of like that early church, the first generation, if you will. And what you find in Acts is um, there's all these little mini sermons that are given. It's actually, if you've ever read through Acts, like there's all this exciting stuff, but there's always sometimes short, sometimes long these little mini sermons, and they're pretty much the same sermon over and over and over again. But one example is from Acts 2, where Peter is preaching to the crowd. And so the content of the message that the first Christians bring to the world basically has three parts. The people who formed communities that came from all different walks of life, socioeconomically, politically, Um, religiously, different ages, different stages, different wealth levels, different races, different ethnicities, different countries, all come together around these three ideas. First of all, that Jesus was nailed to a cross, but God released him from death, raised him back to life, and we are witnesses of this. There's virtually no theological packaging to this message. There are, of course, huge implications for how people live their life 
because of this news. So, for instance, C.S. Lewis, uh, who is a pretty famous Christian author of the 20th century, says, you know, one of, the, one of the things that gets lobbed at Christians who talk about heaven all the time is, well, you're just thinking about, you know, glory and the by and by and, uh, you know, life after death, where we've got all these problems in the world. Like, you should be talking about the world. But C.S. Lewis makes the point, it's actually the people who talk the most about heaven who talk the most about the Christian hope that we will be raised from the dead on Judgment Day, who have done the most for the people living today. So you think about who built the hospitals before there was anything like government assistance. It was the Christians who, when the plagues came, ran into the cities to care for the sick. It was the followers of Jesus who fought the hardest to end slavery. It was people who believed in the resurrection of Jesus and life after death, who couldn't stop talking about heaven, but they saw and believed that God had power in this world that could change lives and change like structures and, and, and people would like give their whole life to this person, to this movement, because of this belief in the resurrection of Jesus. So, first part of the message is Jesus was nailed to a cross, died, God raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead. The second part in Acts 2, verse 36, Jesus is Lord and Messiah, or Jesus is King. And this is, uh, this is a political statement. It's a little different kind of political statement than people make today, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. But it's a, it's a fundamental political statement that wherever you're putting your hope that is not Jesus, you've misplaced it. And whatever's going on in the world, no matter how bad, it might seem like things are out of control, but Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. Jesus is king. And beyond that, like if, if you come away thinking anything about the kingship of Jesus, believe too that Jesus is a good king and he desires your good. To put your faith or trust in Jesus is fundamentally uh, an acknowledgement that I'm not in control of my life and I'm not in control of the world either and no one is other than Jesus who is king and who desires our good. So Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Jesus is king. Thirdly, repent of your sins and turn back to God. This is the message that comes through the book of Acts over and over and over and over again. Repent of your sins. Yeah, I mean, as, as old-fashioned as that is. Repent of your sins. Repent of the ways that you have rebelled against God's design for your life, for human relationships, for loving your enemies. Like, if you want to, like, look look at the design that God had for human flourishing. Go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, for instance. Like to repay insult with blessing. That's God's design for human flourishing. Have we done that? Repent of your sins, which again is not the same thing as like just feeling bad or sorry. It's saying, you know what, I'm going to actually change direction. My life is going to repent or turn so that it gets into alignment with God, his heart, and his desires for me. 
that's the message. That is the Easter message, its implications. It is born out of suffering and victory. The disciples who follow Jesus are experiencing confusion, fear, exhaustion, loneliness. They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling like their hopes have been misplaced. And yet, because of the, like, the appearance of Jesus in the flesh, they are filled with hope and purpose and will themselves be willing to suffer and most of them die, especially of that original 12, to bring this message about Jesus to the world. I mean, those, those implications are huge. Are you living your life as if Jesus really rose from the dead? Are you letting your life ooze like the love of Jesus? Are, like, are you loving like Jesus? Is there, is there an energy behind your like, actions? Or really the question is not, is there an energy, but what is the energy? Is the energy behind your actions and your conversations like self-centered, self-focused, about accumulating wealth or power or being entertained or being happy? Or is it to lay all those things aside and say, no, the, the, my passion is that Jesus was risen from the dead. Is, is the very power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in your heart? Paul talks about that. But he says, Paul says something in, uh, in Romans 10 that I think just, again, puts all kinds of focus in the right place. Where so much of what we hear about faith and church and belief comes with all this packaging, right? But in Romans 10, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, or again, Jesus is King, are you declaring today, will you declare today that Jesus is king? We'll sing it here in a few seconds. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Saved from death, that's like the loud message of Easter. Jesus has victory over death. Saved from your old like patterns of sin, yeah, you're going to still screw up. But like part of the message is turn away from that sin, turn toward God. Saved to like do good in the world. That's in the Bible too. Like salvation is this big thing. And so my challenge to you is all of you today repent. And if it's not something you've done today, say, I believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and I decide today that he is my number one priority, that he is my king. The implications are so huge. The implications are, I mean, they're bigger than a million dollar check. The stakes are high. And so the invitation today is to invite Jesus into your life in such a way that everything changes. And so I need that. And I believe that God will meet us 
if we ask him to come. And so I invite you to stand. And I think everybody could pray this prayer with me. Come Holy Spirit. We repent. We once again put you in the center of our lives. We declare now that you are king. And we put our trust in you. Help our faith to be flexible enough to go on the journey that includes storms and frustrations and doubt and confusion and strong enough that we can weather those storms and stay true in doubt and have hope in times of despair and love people even when they don't love us. And so now, Jesus, we turn to you in worship. We love you. We praise you. And so let our hearts be filled with joy on this Easter morning. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.